Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, thank you and welcome to this special recording for the online audience. We apologize so much that we had uh, difficulties with our internet this past Sunday, but we really wanted to come here and give you the opportunity to hear that message. Uh, The second part of Love and the Cross. So, I'm Pastor Scott. Thank you so much for joining us. And let's go ahead and continue our series, our Words Matter series, Love and the Cross. And today we're going to focus on love. Last week, we focused on the cross. And we revisited kind of three, four, three or four key moments from the Old Testament. In Genesis 21, we saw that God laid the foundation for the idea that he would provide a substitutionary sacrifice when he gave a ram to Abraham. In Numbers 21, God laid the foundation for salvation by faith alone as we look to the one who became a curse for us and was lifted on a pole. In Leviticus 16, God further laid the foundation not only for the atonement of sin, but that our sins will be transferred to the one who would become our scapegoat and would carry them away to never be remembered. In John 19... On the cross, we saw that when Jesus said, it is finished, he used the word tetelestai in the original language of the Bible. And we saw that in his day, tetelestai had two common uses. The first is whenever a worker or servant finished a job, they returned to the master and said tetelestai, which meant, I've completed the job you gave me to do, I've done it exactly the way you told me to do it, and it will pass your inspection. The second most common use for Jesus' day of the word tetelestai came with regard to paying off a debt. When someone paid off a loan or a debt, they were given a receipt stamped with the word tetelestai. Today, we would say, paid in full. And the last place we look back to was Genesis chapter 3, and we see, looking at that through the lens of the cross, that it is finished means that God's promise to Eve that through her offspring would come the one who would be the Messiah was fulfilled. We see God's word to Satan, the serpent, was also fulfilled on the cross when Satan bruised Jesus' heel, but Jesus crushed Satan's head on the cross. And we see the promise that Our nakedness was covered by Jesus' righteousness. And in Christ, we now stand before God without shame or fear. So this week, we'll once again begin by looking at John 3.16. And we'll consider God's love for the world. We'll also look at the deeper meaning found in the original language used. And we'll further expand our understanding of love by looking at another well-known Bible passage from 1 Corinthians. So let's read John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The word that we see here that's used as, we translate as love in John 3.16, when we look at that in the original language, we find the word agape. Now, our English language, once again, falls short 
when we consider the meaning of agape in the Bible. So let's look at that fuller meaning uh, to help us, help us have a better understanding of what God's love for the world looks like. And like I mentioned, the word used here for love is agape. And that word agape is used 106 times in the New Testament writings. Agape love was often referred to by the Greeks as the highest or truest form or type of love for another person. Now, when I was trying to look up the meaning of agape, I found a wonderful online article uh, written uh, by an author named Alyssa Rote, and I would love to share a quote from that for you. Agape love is unconcerned with the self and concerned with the greatest good of another. Agape isn't born just out of emotions or feelings, familiarity or attraction, but from the will and as a choice. Agape requires faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice without expecting anything in return. Agape love in the Bible is love that comes from God. And God's love isn't sentimental, it's part of His character. It's an outpouring of who He is. As 1 John 4 states, God is love, agapos, meaning He is the source of agape love. His love is undeserved, gracious, and sacrificial, a choice, a deliberate striving for another's highest good, and is demonstrated through action. So God set the standard for agape love in sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. What a wonderful uh, way to describe agape love. And we see here that that word agape in John 3.16 is a love that comes from God. It flows out of his very nature. That it's not concerned with self or one's own needs, but rather is focused on seeking the highest good of another. It's a love given out of choice rather than emotions or attraction or familiarity or even sentiment. It requires faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice. It's a love that is undeserved, and I would add unearned. And perhaps most of all, it's demonstrated through action. In this case, we see action on the cross when Jesus died for our sins. So we see this idea of agape love expressed beautifully as well in the writings of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. And perhaps next to John 3.16, 1 Corinthians 13 may be one of the most well-known and often quoted passages from the Bible. So let's take a look at uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to start on verse 4. Perhaps you've heard this before. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, and always hopes, always perseveres. So here in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul really builds upon that idea that agape love is love expressed through action. And he adds to our understanding of agape love by using words like patient, kind, not envying, not being proud, not boasting, does not dishonor others. Now, I looked up the word dishonor here in the original language, and it was oske meneo, 
And that means that you don't behave in ways that are unseemly or inappropriate towards others. We see in here as well, it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And we really see that idea of that choice of will and of this being an active type of love, not just a feeling or an idea, but really expressing itself towards someone else. So now that we've looked a little deeper into the selfless, sacrificial, and active nature of God's agape love to us, let's go ahead and look at another key passage from the New Testament where we find the word agape used. Let's turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. So in chapter 12 of the Gospel of Mark, the teachers of the law had been looking for ways to discredit Jesus and were trying to trip him up with a debate about Jewish law and how it should be interpreted, you know, how to apply the do's and don'ts in some really unusual situations. It was kind of like, these are our stumper questions on the senior level test. And they were really just trying to trick him up, trip him up to discredit him. Now, of course, Jesus being God wasn't tricked or fooled. Instead, he answers all of their questions with wisdom and truth, and they're the ones who are stumped. And so one of the teachers of the law who had been watching this debate going on asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And so let's take a look at what Jesus says in Mark 12, and we'll start in verse 28 or 29. Jesus replied, the most important command is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the, is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So in Mark, we see that the word for love here is the same word, agape. So Jesus is telling the teachers of the law and all of us that God's commandments can be summed up in two statements. We are to have agape love for the Father, and we are to have agape love for our neighbors. So it's a love by choice that's faithful and committed, sacrificial, that seeks the highest good of the other, and is demonstrated through action. So I'd like to spend the remainder of our time together next focusing on the second of those two commandments, which tells us to agape love our neighbors. So we're going to look first at God's command to love other believers, and then we're going to look at God's command to love non-believers, and finally, we'll look at God's command to love our enemies. Oh, man. So, loving other believers, let's go to 1 John 5, 1 through 3. And this is what the Apostle John has to tell us. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And let's also take a look at 1 John 3, 14 to 18. And we're going to start here actually in verse 16. 
and says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So also we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely love, say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. So in those two passages, we really see from 1 John that that same word agape is used for love. Jesus' agape love on the cross has made us children of God. As God's children, we're to show agape love to others in the family of God. And just like Jesus, we are to love with more than words. Our actions demonstrate the truth of our love. So now let's take a look at uh, the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 5, where we'll see that love for our neighbors must also include non-believers as well. So in Luke chapter 5, Jesus had just finished healing a paralyzed man that had been lowered through the roof. And that's a story that might be familiar to some of you. For others, there was a paralyzed man who couldn't get in to see Jesus to be healed. So his friends, showing agape love, took him up on the roof of the house Jesus was in, cut a hole in the roof, and lowered him through. So there's agape love uh, in, in action right there. So that had just finished, and Jesus, in verse 27, we see him leaving the house and walking to his next destination when he comes upon the booth of Levi, the tax collector. So we pick up right here in verse 27. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus answered them himself. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. So in Luke 5, we see God's active agape love at work towards non-believers in a few ways. Jesus approaches a tax collector and invites him to become a disciple. Levi, responding to that agape love from Jesus, follows him and then holds a banquet in Jesus' honor and invites his non-believing friends to meet Jesus so that agape love he received is now flowing through him to his friends, the other tax collectors. Jesus, again, showing agape love, eats and drinks with all of those tax collectors, people described as scum by the religious leaders of the day. And then Jesus tells those religious leaders, these are the very people God's agape love brought me here to save. So we can see from 1 John and Luke 5 that loving our neighbors includes believers and non-believers alike. Agape love compels us to care and provide for our neighbors in need, and agape love draws non-believers to follow Jesus. So now let's go and look at yet another call to agape love found in Luke chapter 6, the call to love our enemies. 
So Jesus had been up on the mountainside praying overnight. When he came down the next morning to his disciples, he found a large crowd had gathered to hear him preach and to be healed. So let's take a look now at Luke chapter 6, verse, and start in verse 27, where we find Jesus calling us to agape love. This is in Jesus' words. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is, a, he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. And he goes on to say, do not judge others or, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and getting poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Wow. All right. I don't know about you, but I've had people in my life I'd rather not be around, okay? And the word enemy could probably be justified in a few of those cases. And others were mean or hurtful or rude, thoughtless, or just consistently difficult. So Jesus' call to withhold judgment, offer compassion, and to give generously I don't know about you, but it's not my first reaction in those cases. And we might often think that our enemies are always going to be outside of the church, but despite God's call for his children to love one another, I've often been hurt most deeply by people in the church, those who claim to love Jesus. And so I believe that's why here in Luke 6, Jesus takes the time to be abundantly clear that the call to love our neighbor must include people like these. Jesus expands that agape love definition beyond what the people of the day would have understood agape to mean and included a few more love in action words than what we saw in 1 Corinthians. Words like bless, pray for, do not judge, do not condemn, forgive. These love in action words are the very tools by which God's grace and mercy flow through us so that even those who are enemies of the cross might experience God's kindness, repent, and be saved. Oh, wow. So that's a pretty dynamic definition of agape. So I don't know about you, but I ask myself, okay, Lord, how do I do that? How do I have agape love for my neighbors? People in the church, people in my neighborhood, people at work, even my enemies. Because sometimes I just don't have that strength within me. And I think we find the answer in the one from whom agape love flows. If you're ever at a loss for how to pray, I encourage you to take a look at places in the Bible where the Apostle Paul prays for someone. One of my favorite prayers of Paul is one that just happens to use the word agape. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul reminds the believers he's writing to 
that as Gentiles, meaning they were not Jewish, either by birth or tradition, that they were once excluded from God's family. But by the glory of God, through the cross, they've now been adopted into God's family. And that's an amazing thing. And so Paul says to them, uh, starting off in verse 14, he says, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through, your, through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Wow. So here in Ephesians 3, Paul gives us the answer to how to have agape love for our neighbors, including our enemy. He tells us that we must become rooted and established in God's love so that God's love and power flow through us. If Paul were to pray that prayer today, he'd be asking that the Holy Spirit would empower us with strength in our inner being so that Christ makes his home in our hearts as we learn to trust him. He'd pray that we would come to experience and understand how wide and long and high and deep God's love for us is. He'd pray that our roots would grow down into that love and that we would be made complete. And I love this, with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God, whose power then at work within us is able to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Wow. I don't know about you, but I'd like to experience more and more of that. So how do you and I get rooted and established in God's love so we can love our neighbor? Well, I think we saw the secret back in Luke chapter 6. Remember that just before Jesus gave his message about loving our enemies, we're told he had spent the night before alone with God praying. And as we read the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, we see that he often made time to get alone with God, to pray. And that's what you and I need to do too. See, Jesus knew that the secret to fulfilling the command to love our neighbors was to remember and obey the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So if we're going to be rooted and established in love, in his agape love, so it flows through us, we need to spend time agape love with God. Not just doing things for him, but spending time with him. Wow, that's incredible. There's one more really incredible moment I'd like to take you to as we look at the idea of agape love. See, just like last week when we look back to Genesis 3, where the Adam and Eve fell through the lens of the cross to see God's love in action at the very moment they fell, today I'd like to finish our time together looking forward to the book of Revelation. The Apostle John 
was visited by an angel who took him into heaven, or, and John will say, whether it was in a vision or in reality, I don't know for sure. But we join John now in Revelation chapter 4 as part of that experience that he had. It's a little long, and there's some strange stuff in here, but hang with me. At once I was in the Spirit, John says, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, and the second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of these four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. And day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And we get to verse 9 here, and we get to the really key parts here. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive honor and glory and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have being. Wow. And so there's a whole lot going on in this scene. But what I want to focus on are the crowns the elders are laying down before the throne as they worshiped. Exactly where did they get those crowns? Well, if you look at Ephesians 2.10, Paul tells us that we are God's workmanship in Christ created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. And if you go back to Luke 6 again, when Jesus is telling us to love our enemies, he says something about reward. He says that our reward for loving our enemies will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. And the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. You see, we bring nothing of value to the table when we come to the cross. We're totally dependent upon faith and upon the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. Well, when we show up into heaven, it's the same thing. We really bring nothing of value in and of ourselves. But a loving Father who has agape love to us, He loves us so much that He doesn't want us to show up in the throne room empty-handed. So He's made a way for us to earn those crowns through those good works he's prepared for us to do, through the agape love that we give. And those times when we're loving people and we're not seeing a return in that moment, all those times, that's what's creating that crown for you and putting the next jewel in that. And so when we show up in heaven, our Father loves us so much, he does not want us to show up empty-handed. And he gives us something that we can take off our heads and we can say, you know, truly, this is your doing, God. Let me give it back to you. And we lay those at his feet. 
And that's the agape love of our Father. I'd like to kind of close out our time now by taking a moment to do exactly what Jesus did when he reached out to Levi, the tax collector. He invited him to come and be his disciple. And Levi's response to that agape love, that being acknowledged by Jesus, by being included by Jesus, by being in proximity to Jesus, and Jesus inviting him to come and follow him. Levi followed Jesus. You see, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that every one of us has fallen short of God's perfect plan. And Romans 6.23 tells us that like Adam and Eve, we've gone our own way. That this is what the Bible calls sin. When we don't follow God's perfect plan, but decide for ourselves what is good and evil. And like Adam and Eve, we are separated from God by that sin apart from Jesus Christ. But Romans 5.8 tells us that on the cross, God demonstrated his agape love for us. When Jesus died to take away our sins. And Romans 10 verse 9 tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So I want to invite you right now, just like Jesus did, to come and follow Jesus, to be his disciple. If you don't know him already as your Lord and Savior, So I'm going to take a moment here and I'm going to pray. And I invite you to pray with me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I know that I am broken. I know that like Adam and Eve, I have gone my own way. And it's led me to places that are not healthy. It's led me into sin, Father God. It's kept me separated from you. I don't want to be separated from you anymore, Father God. And so I confess with my mouth that I believe Jesus Christ came from you. He came in the flesh. He went on the cross. He died for our sins, and he rose again to give us eternal life. And so I believe that in my heart, and I accept his gift of grace that covers my sin. It transfers it onto him, and like the scapegoat, he takes it away forever. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, welcome to the family of God. I would love it if you would go to our church's website, mycrossview.com, and there's a spot on there where you can submit a prayer request to us, you can submit uh, information to us, reach out, let us know, so that we can welcome you, and we'll reach back out to you and acknowledge that. Thank you so much for taking that step into God's family, and thank you all for being here again with us to hear about love and the cross. I look forward to next week uh, when Pastor Nikki takes us to the next word that matters in our series, the word redemption. Thank you so much for being part of the time together today.